0: Radio.
1: Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two, And now, here is your host of Lincoln on Lending, David Lickin.
2: Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Good to have you here. This is Halloween, October 31st. Scary program, scary topic. No, not really, but we are here at the Mirror Catalyst event in Barton Creek, and we are having a great time already listening to Tim Skeet on the platform, start off in his normal fashion. In fact, Tim Skeet is going to be our guest In the Hot Topics segment, we're going to be comparing the U.S. election to the Brexit vote, and it's going to be really exciting, and uh, I'm looking forward to that discussion. Very interesting. Tim is always fun to have on, intelligent, articulate, and informed on what's happening. So we're going to be having Tim Skeet talking about what's going on and comparing that. Tim Skeet's an independent banking consultant at the time, and he's over 30 years of experience at international debt markets. So I'm very excited about all of that. Again, we want to say thank you to all of our sponsors. This podcast was created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we are the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. Appreciate everybody joining in with us. The sponsors are ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative Star program, Motivity Solutions, leading business intelligent technology, providing real-time reporting and dashboard scorecards. Velma, the virtual electronic marketing assistant that can help you build stronger relationships and more profitable relationships through their set-it-and-forget-it auto email campaigns. Or you can create custom email campaigns on the fly. Check them out at Velma velm or call Brent Emler at 208-854-7909. Then SimpliFile, Nancy Alley and the team over there at SimpliFile have a technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents in a real-time chat and messaging format, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arrive. All of this is done in a real-time electronic communication format, and best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. I encourage you to check it out at simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, or call Nancy Alley and her team at 1-800-460-5657. Of course, we want to say a special thank you to DNH. We did the broadcast on their booth last uh, week from in Boston at the MBA uh, Annual Conference. They're moving your world, they being DNH, is moving your world forward through technology. They have been in business for 140 years. They have over 5,000 employees worldwide with 8,000 clients in 70 countries. Talk about an international company, that's them. They check out their MortgageBot all-in-one LOS system and check out their new MortgageBot mobile program. Mobile-enabled, it's very exciting what they're doing. Check it out at dh.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592. Also, the Mortgage Collaborative is founded by former chairman of the MBA, John Robbins, David Kittle, and leaders in the who are leaders in the forefront of diversity movement in the mortgage real estate industry. And Jim Parks and Gary Acosta also were founders of it. The mortgage collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The cooperative provides members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships in a more intimate settings And they are the top mortgage, with top mortgage professionals, along with those that are uh, all there. So it's really a leader's organization. It's really a fun place to get together. It is truly all about networking, getting to know each other. Oftentimes in this industry, who you know is as important as what you know. Check it out, mortgagecollaborative.com, or call Rich Zerbinski at 440-552-0691, the power of the network. Finally, I'll say thank you to Alice, Joe, Andy, Paul, Sam, everyone who makes this program content so rich and meaningful. We hear so from so many of you did at the annual conference. We really appreciate it. Some more conferences are coming up. I'm here at the Mary Catalyst event. That's going on right now. If you're here in the Austin area, drive on over to Barton Creek and uh, join us at the Barton Creek Hotel and Spa. Also, we have the November, and on November 10th, we have the whole On Trading Workshop. It's going to be at the Phoenix uh, Workshop at uh, the, the Phoenix. Uh, airport. Which airport hotel is it? The Phoenix, it's the Hilton. There it is, Phoenix Airport, and uh, it's the MBA's hold on working workshop. Also, the MBA's Accounting and Financial Management Conference at the Manchester in Grand at the Grand Hyatt in San Diego, November fifteenth and sixteenth. I'll be doing a uh, live podcast and a special podcast, one of the first of its kind where we're doing audio and video. We'll be doing it the day before on November sixteenth. Very interesting. It'll be a lot of fun. Hope to see you at that conference. January 23rd through the 26th with the Independent Mortgage Banking Conference. It's going to be at the La Quinta in the Palm Springs area, as well as February 14th through the 17th, the National Mortgage Servicing Conference. So check out all the conferences there at the MBA Conference in Education. With that, let's go to finding out what is going on. What in the world is going on with the markets with Joe Farr? Joe, good to have you here, friend. Hi,
3: David. Hey, it's kind of quiet today. You know, we're just a little above where we ended the day on Friday, and uh, we are off a little bit from our earlier morning highs. The uh, core PCE came in as expected, and and so it was it was good. Can you hear something? Oh, okay. good. Yeah. Oops, David. I, yes, I can you hear you.
2: Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. Right. I was talking to Tim, so so much for that. I thought I had the dead mic there. Sorry, caught me on an open mic format.
3: There you go. And, you know that's been bad news for some people lately. <laughs>
2: it has. <laughs> be good
3: good thing you were talking about business. <laughs> uh, yeah, good thing. All yeah. Right. Anyway, sorry, so anyway, yeah, we we had a we had a core PC come out this morning. It came in as expected, one point seven percent. Annualized rate over last September, which was steady with the month before, so it wasn't. Yeah, you know, it was. It was nice to, that it came out that it came out and it wasn't hotter than than what it did. So uh, the market kind of liked that. So, um, in addition, consumer spending came in. It was a little uh, a little higher than expected, and Chicago PMI was uh, uh, showed a little less expansion than expected. So you know, a mixture of data today. Uh, Last week was really a pretty quiet week, except for Thursday. Thursday saw a lot of uh, of uh, movement, lost about an eighth, I mean a quarter in price, and uh, came from a a number of sources. Uh, The United Kingdom showed a greater, better GDP, third quarter GDP, than what was expected. And and another surprise came out of Spain, where its unemployment rate fell more than expected. So those things caused... You know, and investors, uh, some concern about the level of future uh, bond purchases coming out of the ECB and, and the United Kingdom. And, uh, of course, bond bond purchases have been a big driver of uh, mortgage rates here, and, and the extra demand has really helped mortgage rates. In addition, on Thursday, the Bank of Japan came out and said uh, they may not expand their bond purchases. So. Uh, you know, uh, that lack of demand or that concern about reduced demand was negative for mortgage rates. Now, the economic data that came out during the week um, it really was a mixture of good and bad data, and, and therefore it had uh, little net effect on mortgage rates. Both consumer confidence and consumer sentiment came in a little short of expectations. New home sales were short, but uh, pending home sales exceeded, and so you know, it was offsetting. Uh, durable orders were uh, below ex expectations. Uh, first quarter GDP, though, as you saw, uh, exceeded expectations at two point nine percent versus uh, two point five wow. as the consensus. However, you know part of that day was a result of building inventories and increased uh, exports. And those two items of GDP really aren't viewed as uh, uh, sustainable over the long period of time. And so the exceeding expectations did not draw uh you know it wasn't considered negative for mortgage rates now, looking at this week uh we got a lot more data to uh well, both central bank activity and data to pay attention to this week uh starting tomorrow, Bank of Japan will make their announcement, and you know given that they have been in the news lately, it could be a market moving announcement. Uh, Then on Wednesday, the Fed statement will be read at 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, Very little new information is expected to be in there, Uh, maybe a little stronger guidance toward an increase in rates in December, but certainly no increase in rates expected at this meeting. The economic data that comes out next week uh, starts with ISM Manufacturing Index on, uh, well, tomorrow. Uh, ADP comes out on Wednesday, the ISM services on Thursday, and then the big non-farm payrolls comes out on Friday. Right now, the consensus is 475,000, which happens to be the same consensus as last week and just about the same, not last week, but last month, and just about the same as the month before. Uh, Unemployment rate is expected to drop back to 4.9%. So that's it. That's it. Well, that's
2: just real interesting. What's interesting, we're going to get Tim's thoughts on why, after the announcement of
3: Brexit, that we're seeing economic growth, well, that's going to be fascinating for the so we It sure was not expected to be that way. It
2: was not expected, so we'll find out what Tim has to say about that, so.
3: Anyway, looking forward to uh,
2: getting his comments here in just a little bit. All right. Well, if you're not signed up for MBS quote line, I encourage you to do so. I don't know how you manage your interest rate risk or even be able to advise your borrowers in a common market like this. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. I think we've got – yeah, Paul Maul is dialed in. Can't wait to get his commentary. But right back right after this brief break.
1: more about MBS Quote Line today at MBSquoteLine.com. MBSquoteLine.com. 646 716 4972. The Lickin on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin.
2: Good to have you with us, everybody. So excited about this program and what we've got coming up ahead here. So, anyway, we're getting audio levels adjusted here, but let's get Paul Mallow on to find out what's going on over at IMFnews.com. If you're not signed up for this news, Website and encourage, encourage you to do so. Paul, good to have you here, friend.
4: Hey, David, can you hear me?
2: Yeah, we hear you now.
4: We <laughs> now, it's good to know, since it's good to know Did you? Yeah. I, I missed your intro. Did you? Did you make a nod to Halloween or All Saints Day or anything like that?
3: Yeah, we you
4: gave an
2: acknowledgement to it, Paul. That you know, not don't don't do a lot with it, but uh,
4: it's yeah, it's not a big part of your show. I know. <laughs> not a big part of the show. No. <laughs> Give us your favorite Halloween mortgage moment.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, been, What's that's the one, scariest that's the part moves. of the industry? Yeah, it's that's not a bad idea,
4: moves. actually. What scares you the most on Halloween as a mortgage <laughs>
2: That's actually banker? A good pro- we could, we're going to uh, start doing some polling questions in advance of some of our programs. It'll be fun to get pick up some of that. But, yeah, it's a great question to ask. Scariest moments in the mortgage banking. It depends on if you're an originator, if you're a buyer, seller, or if you're in the managing the markets. But, anyway, so what's the uh, scariest things going on, on on the imfnews.com website, my friend?
4: Well, not too scary. We're seeing a... P- a- Pickup in servicing transfers, and these are basically flow deals. You know, the, where the the servicing is is being forwarded as it's created to a to an investor. Um, those picked up in the third quarter, 94.96 billion dollars. That's up about nine percent from the second quarter. Uh, we don't get into the bulk uh, transfers too much because, as a lot of people know, selling servicing in a bulk fashion is is can be tough. And the biggie, as we've been writing about for several months now, is selling Ginny Mae bulk rights. Right. Uh, that's a tough road to hoe, and that could change. Ginny Mae uh, is supposed to put out their new acknowledgement agreement early this week. I'm um, supposed to get an update maybe today. Uh, I was yeah, Ted, promised
2: Ted, it yeah, Ted's would here at the be conference. out. So Ted's here at the conference. I mean, you need to search him out about that. So text me some information. I'll try to corner him and see if I can get some information. Yeah, no,
4: I was promised uh, it on Monday or Tuesday in an interview to ensue, so I'm assuming it's ready to go. But it it has been delayed, uh, so who knows? Uh, The more interesting story uh, than transfers, though transfers is always interesting, B of A has now dropped the word mortgage from their mortgage loan officers and now calling their across the company, just loan officers. And and that's, you know, interesting in itself, sort of. But what makes it more interesting, they're now basically given the capability to sell auto products, auto loans. So (laughs) suddenly you have this mortgage retail sales force saying, oh, now you're capable of selling auto loans. And the question is, well, why are you doing that? if you've got some high performance. Now, the thing they haven't yet quite given us any details on if you're a high performing mortgage loan officer or loan officer, will you be exempt from this? Or you know, why should you waste your time, you know, with a $10,000 auto loan for example when you're, you know, you're really better off, uh, you know, trying to sell $500,000 mortgages? Um so there's there's some things going on there. We hope to get more details on this week and and spread out and there's a lot more going on underneath the surface. So that's just a taste of it on I?
2: Which, and that, and that's, i want to make sure—that's Bank of America that's doing that.
4: Yeah, Bank of America.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. Well, what's yeah. interesting is here at the conference, um, at the AmeriCatalyst conference over here at Barton Creek is—you're um, well, not very familiar with the area, but anyway, it's—it's it's, uh, Tony Miola. Um, about. Oh yeah,
4: about yeah. About I know the, the name. Your mic falling
2: out Israel. again. Yeah, spent spent some time with him last night, talking at length about some of the things they're doing. It was really interesting. And, but what you're, that comment is, is it, it harkens back to the days of when Jack Welsh at GE Capital wanted to um, have everybody be able the jet engine salesperson to sell light bulbs. That's just I, 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 and it didn't work so well for them. So we'll see where that goes. And the light bulb salesman, in theory, then could sell jet engines. Now that one really worries me a bit. But anyway, yeah, that, we'll see that,
4: what. That's a no brainer, right?
2: <laughs> so I mean, come on. Is, I don't know what's on. going on here. Well, Tony, so, was, Tony was really interesting. Anthony, Anthony Miola is a really interesting guy. Right. We had a lot of conversation. We sat down with him. Both Tim and I talked about him at, at length last night. So we'll, we'll mix some of that commentary in, into our comments as we look at everything's going mobile and what the big banks are doing to preserve it. So interesting stuff. And, Paul, if you haven't checked out, check out the Millennial Disruption Index. That was really fascinating. So check out that website. Everybody should do that. Okay. Anyway.
4: We'll have to yeah. do that. All we? right.
2: So continue. I don't on know, David. It's we New got America.
4: sidetracked here. Let's let's quick go through this. Uh, M I A C Mortgage Industry Advisory Corp. They're selling $880 uh, and 80 million dollars of servicing. That's a bulk portfolio. Method View selling some uh, NPLs, non-performing loans. That's interesting because most of the non-performing loan auctions of late have been Fannie, Freddie, and HUD. So uh, they're selling. A, it looks like a private portfolio. Uh, Cato Institute, uh, the conservative think tank, they filed a amicus brief in the Golden Parachute case involving former Freddie CFO Buddy Pizzell. Uh, that's an interesting case to keep an eye on. Uh, Buddy was there just um, at the takeover in September 2008, and his Golden Parachute got, um, shall we say, shot down. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in that case short takes. Uh we have the former uh auditor, uh director auditor, uh Tom Forrester, who used to be uh with the uh progressive insurance company, a uh, smart guy all around. He put out a new column uh guest writing for Alan Sloan, suggesting uh that the GSC should have a capital buffer of at least three billion. As most readers uh, might know, uh the capital buffer falls to zero in two thousand eighteen. In two months, that capital buffer, I believe, will be $600 million per institution. And, by the way, Freddie Mac reports earnings tomorrow, and then Fannie reports on Thursday. We're going to keep a close eye on that, as we always do, Uh, so something to keep in mind. And, listen, I know we're running long, so I'll cut it short there, and uh, you guys have a great week.
2: Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on, friend. Check out the website. Sign up for imfnews.com. And get on their mailing list. Good stuff, Paul. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Much appreciated. All right. Let's move on. Alice Alvey, so good to have you here each and every week talking about all that's going on. It was fun having you in the booth last week, Alice. Uh, that was probably one of the more exciting moments there of the conference. So it's good to have yeah, you It was here very
5: fun to have a live show there and uh, have a live audience. And thanks to DNH for having us there. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun waving at people listening to the radio show. <laughs> That's true. So for my update today, we have a couple of things. Um, last week at the conference, I think we brought up. Uh, you mentioned Dave about Rocket Mortgage. So Fannie Mae rolled out, you know, their new uh, Day One in certain certainty program, which seems to help kind of bring some of the um, the ability for any lender to have some type of income validation early in the process, and then. Uh, of course, with having a match in income through DU would give you some protection and reps and warranties. So they have a whole new website out, you can go check out the details on where it stands today and how it will be improving over the next couple of months. Freddie Mac is a couple of months behind them. Uh, we, they didn't want to talk a lot about that. Um, as Indicom, we are um, on the list of talking with them because we have an income analysis product that fits in there. So essentially the way DU works is it would... Um, reach out to the income verification provider, and but the lender is still responsible for coming up with the number, working with that amount from the resource that you're using, and then if Danny may agrees with your decision behind or your income amount behind the scenes. As an example, then you would get reps and warrants for using that. Now, as we talk to different lenders about how they feel about, they're pretty excited, but still want to see how it actually works and whether or not that income amount is going to be something that they agree with. So. Stay tuned to that as we watch that unfold. Um, Cybersecurity is absolutely a big issue, and the New York cybersecurity proposal, that's received a lot of comment, and people are starting to say, well, is this now going to be some kind of standard? It's only a proposed rule. The comment period did just close. So we'll definitely watch this for you and watch it unfold. But it does bring to light the need to make sure that you understand what cybersecurity measures you should have in place. Uh, so what I'm recommending is people dig up the FSIEC Cybersecurity Assessment tool. You can just Google that statement, FSIEC Cybersecurity Assessment tool. It'll come right up from their website. And what's really helpful about this is it defines risk levels. And what's important about the risk levels, I think, is even for your basic lender, you might be surprised how very often you end up in the moderate or even significant risk level category when you think, oh, I'm just a small shop, I have some branches, but maybe you end up as having significant risk because you let everybody in your office have their own telepo- their own cell phones and their own yeah. iPads. So. Read through the documents. There's a lot in there that can help guide you in classifying the risks that you have at your company, so I just wanted to remind everybody about that. Um, the 2015 Humda data is out, and already CFPB has warned that 44 lenders may have some compliance problems. My guess is those 44 are people who may not have filed, Just and we'll wait and see. We'll hopefully hear some more about that and what they're actually looking for, for those, um, in the new HMDA, uh issues. And then FDIC and OCC have a pro- advanced notice of proposed rulemaking out also on cybersecurity. This was really for mega banks, $50 billion or more, and uh, so it's about 40 banks um, and a variety of non bank financial companies. So uh, we'll watch that mildly, but for those of you who heard about it and you're a mid sized shop, it's not going to apply to you yet. <laughs> so those are my tips for the day, Dave. And i uh, anxious Good. to talk to our guest and hear some more about what's going on at the AmeriCatalyst event.
2: Yeah, it's really. It's wish you wish you could be here with us with us here as well, Alice. This is really one of those amazing think tank kind of conferences where you hear some really good critical thoughts So very interesting. Anyway, yeah. so much appreciated. So much. Uh, what we're going to do is take a quick ad break, and uh, we're going to be back with Sam Garcia to get some other information. He's got a great website, so we'll be right back after this brief break.
1: If you have questions about mortgage regulations. Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage You give you the edge.
2: Yeah, it's so true. The Allison can, and her team could do so much to help you guys. If you're not in touch with them, go ahead and do so. Also, we want to get a hold of Jim Jump. He's uh, met with, up with him in San Francisco. We want to talk briefly about the Arch MI app, and then we're going to be right back with Sam Garcia.
6: Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimai's most competitive rates, and that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and, of course, close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use, and all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at ArchMI.com and ArchMICU.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance covered your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive ArchMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody.
2: Appreciate it, Jim. And uh, the RayStar app is something you really need to check out, folks. Get a hold of your local representative there at Arch MI. I've had the privilege of meeting so many more people at the conference, at their reception specifically, and it was it was really amazing. That talk about a quality organization. Very excited about that. So let's get over to Sam Garcia. Sam, good to have you here with us. Give us an update on what you've got on what you're tracking in the news, my friend.
7: Hey, David. Good to be on the show. Um, Yeah, you talked about the mortgage banker's economic outlook last week. We took a look at that. And uh, we saw that um, compared to their outlook from the prior month, um, they boosted their forecast for mortgage originations you know from two thousand and fifteen to two thousand and eighteen by more than three hundred billion dollars it 's a huge jump, and most of that more than two hundred and fifty billion dollars was an increase in expected refinances so yes. uh you know, we all know uh, what where volume was headed, but uh, it's always nice when they uh, raise these uh, outlooks. And, of course, a lot of this has been happening from all of the uh, economic reports in the mortgage industry since uh, the Brexit uh, event. Um, Some more good news was that the three-month average of mortgage complaints that was reported by the CFPB were down 9% from a year earlier, and what's even better about that is uh, that's more than the 5% year-over-year decline reported for all financial service complaints. So the mortgage industry is outpacing, again, uh, the overall financial services sector, but um, for just the month of September, complaints for the mortgage industry rose 5% from the prior month, and that's compared to a 7% decline for overall complaints. So a little bit of a warning sign there. We'll see if that's just a blip. Um, Fannie Mae reported that its new business acquisitions were $71.4 billion last month. Um, that was the best month for new business at Fannie since July 2013, um, and in addition, uh, Fannie Mae's serious delinquency rate uh, was one point two four percent that's the lowest it's been since April two thousand and eight So um, more good news there for fannie. We'll see how long this trend goes, but with expected ref- or you know overall originations declining, um, we'll probably see that start to slump off over the next couple of months. Um, our mortgage market index dipped three percent last week from the prior week. But the index, which uh, provides insight into upcoming originations and is based on average per-user rate locks by open closed clients, was up 22% from a year earlier. So we're seeing improvement compared to a year ago. Um, the week-over-week decline, though, was uh, driven by rate locks for refinances, which fell 9%, um, even though uh, purchase money uh, applications – or, I'm sorry, rate locks were up. Um, we got uh, mortgage production information from Quicken as part of our third quarter origination survey survey and they reported uh, twenty six point eight billion dollars in third-quarter loan originations. That was a 17% increase from the previous quarter and a 36% year-over-year gain for Quicken, which is the largest non-bank lender. One other uh, uh, story I wanted to point out was it's in the mortgage insurance area. Radiant Group reported that it wrote uh, $15.7 billion in new insurance during the three months that ended September 30th. Their CEO said that was the best and highest volume they've ever done in their uh, history. So uh, it was a record month for Radian. And uh, those are some of the highlights that we have from over the last week.
2: Yeah, but Radian doesn't
3: – they do a good
2: job, but they don't have the RateStar app. So I'm just going to tease them about that. <laughs> Anyway, it's so good to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us, Sam. you got some a great website, and I encourage everyone to check it out, mortgagedaily.com. Head over there and get a hold of Sam, or get a hold of Sam at 214-521-1300. Thank you so much, Sam. Really appreciate it.
7: Thank you, David. Talk, talk to you later.
2: Looking forward to that conversation. You know what I'm talking about, too. It's fun. We've got some exciting stuff going, folks. There's some exciting plans we've got in 2017. All right. Well, let's run out and get the KPI of the week. Again, Motivity Solutions reports with their business intelligence tools, what's going on. And when you look at some of the KPIs, there are so many that are out there. You really need to pay attention to all of them. So let's take a look now VP of Customer Relations there, and let's take a look at the latest KPI.
0: Hello, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be here, as always. And this week, we have another key performance indicator related to TRID, and the KPI is Underwriting to Closing Days. And like all TRID metrics, the focus is the estimated closing date and how far in advance a file should be submitted to underwriting to make provisions for any and all underwriting eventualities, possibly multiple resubmissions, and leaving enough time after final approval to finish the loan and deliver the closing disclosure on time. A very common practice for lenders that have automated their analytics with mortgage business intelligence like Movation is to have the system automatically send email alerts to participants on those loans that are running late and at risk of missing these milestone deadlines. Now, This allows loan participants to continually reprioritize their workflow to ensure they remain compliant, clearly demonstrating again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you once again and turn it back to you.
2: Love that phrase. What gets measured gets results. That is so true. Appreciate the folks and the partnership there at Motivity Solutions. Again, don't know how people without having a partnership such as that, but if you haven't checked them out, be sure to do so. MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303-721-9000. Well, without further ado, we're going to get Tim Skeet on the phone here. On the He's on the phone. He's sitting right next to you. He flew all the way in from London to be here with us at the Maricalis event. It's one of the many great friendships that I've developed out of this uh, time and my affiliation with Tony Moss and this outstanding event. And I'm just uh, excited to be able to share the microphone with Tim. Tim, again, is an independent mortgage banking consultant right at the moment. Uh, he has been with RBS And uh, for a number of years, he has a distinguished career in mortgage banking. He is really an expert at international debt markets. He has advised government departments. He's a frequent speaker at industry events. Most recently, he spoke about Brexit and the economic impact. And he was on the no-vote side of the Brexit. And so when we hear today from Joe Farr that the economic environment there in Britain is looking up, it's kind of like, huh, didn't anticipate that one, but Tim, so good to have you here when joining us on the, uh, on the program, my friend.
8: Yeah, hi, David. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. This is, uh, it's great to be here, and for those who can't see me, I put on a special tie. I've got a nice blue tie here today, uh, especially this radio transmission. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, what can I say? Happy Halloween, I guess I should say that. <laughs> um, that's an important one. We celebrated in the United Kingdom as well. Um, you know, it's kind of spooky. Um, look, uh, the economics, we all know that there are economic cycles. and Part of the problem that we have, everyone wants to make it look as if the Brexit uh, is going to have no influence on the British economy. And it's true to say that so far it has had very little positive or negative impact, save in one respect, and that's the foreign exchange rate. Now, if you want to come to London, London's a great place to be right it now. Is. It is so cheap. <laughs> with uh, with you know I, I can do a little broadcast a here. If I come to london it 's dirt cheap. I heard in fact that Americans are now buying London real estate now again for the first time in a very long time yeah. because it, you know, just around about the one twenty two uh, you know, to the to the pound, this is this is this is this is pretty interesting. Twenty yeah. percent devaluation against the dollar in 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 absolutely no time at now all. Now you
2: predicted that, did you not? Did you not see some of that if as a result of that vote? Well, let, let's sit back
8: a minute. I mean, uh, I was a spokesman for the stronger in campaign, so right. I was fighting against us leaving. But I did indeed, David. I got the vibes from the people I was talking to. Uh, I got the vibes that this was possibly going to happen, and I warned people at various events. Now. I have to say that it was abysmal. A, a that means a very poor campaign. But right. we, we fought. My side was uh, we had something called Project Fear, which basically said the economics don't stack up. Uh, it's going to be pretty painful for the, for the nation. But what people forget is it takes time for the impact to filter through the system. And by the way, folks, Brexit No one yet knows what it really means in economic terms because the terms and conditions have not even been set. established yeah now nothing nothing has moved right now apart from the foreign exchange rate, which right. is a kind of anticipation of future flows, but you know that tells us something, but the rest we cannot possibly know anything. all the economic data point to where we were before under the conditions we had before, so I keep telling people you know if you understand anything about economics and most people do not right. you 've got to wait for the cycle to flow through. And by the way, 20% devaluation of the pound means that prices will go up. We will get inflation. And that will take another six months to properly materialize. Now, I can tell you, do you know what Marmite is? No. Marmite is a kind of... i heard the uh, expression, but right, I can't recommend Right. Well, it's, it's, it's very popular in Britain. It's a, it's a kind of spread you put on your toast. Okay, uh, you, know, you, you guys have peanut butter. We have Marmite. And it's... Uh, <laughs> Frankly... Uh, well, you, it, is, it actually is pretty terrible. And you talk about <laughs> British expression for all those who want to study the language: you talk about a, it's it's a marmite flavour, right? You either love it or hate it. It's a very salty kind of beef-based uh, kind of sticky goo. It's black, just to really describe and speak talk it up. Well, the price of marmite looks as if it was going to be uh, be jumping in all the supermarkets, and this is a direct result of the uh, the collapse in the price of the pound. So there was a kind of uh, a lot of online and uh, media buzz around the fact that marmite looks is going to go up, and that meant something for people, because when you see that something like product like Marmite is going to cost you more because the pound
2: is weaker, then you start saying,
8: hmm, maybe mm. this
2: Brexit thing means something
8: maybe. in real terms.
2: Well, that's why I wanted you have to come on to me. The fact that you took the time to fly over here, I want to honor you with that. But be more than that, you're so involved in the ongoing discussion about – brexit the brexit vote right. so uh before we get into that i want to give our audience that do, that's not familiar with you a little bit of your background you're a fighter pilot you <laughs> have been you're distinguished and by the way this guy is ripped he is I, I don't think he's got zero body fat or whatever it is but I mean, it's just he works out he's uh, just a delightful intellectual but he's also um very much involved in it so give your the, the um a little bit of background about your uh, your distinguished career in finance OK,
8: so I mean, uh, just to give uh, everyone the sense of where I came from, I started in the industry 35 years ago, Long time, uh, okay. 35 years ago in September, 22nd of September. I, I predate Big Bang. Now, everybody <laughs> may have read about Big Bang. And interestingly enough, we're characterizing Brexit as the second Big Bang. I yeah. may call it the kind of the, 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 the big explosion, call it something different. Um, maybe it's the big wimp off. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I've been in finance and I've been there with all of the crises. I've had a front row seat, David. I've watched many banks go down. I was with Kidder when they went down. I was at... uh, uh, Merrill when it went down, and uh, I've, uh, I, you know, I was there when a lot a lot of things went down. Now, none of it was my fault, no. but <laughs> I just make that clear. I've been a client <laughs> facing guy all my life, but it's been a pretty interesting career, and it's been a lot of fun. But you've been with
2: some distinguished firms, too. Lehman, Let I me mean, run through the firms. Some yeah, when well, I was at I mean, the, the firm
8: I was originally with, no one will ever have heard of it. It's called Samuel Montague. It's a little cute, little British merchant mm-hmm. bank that existed prior to the Big Bang, and that was uh, kind of a firm that existed for over 100 years. Then that Disappeared and got subsumed, and then I worked for Morgan Stanley where I did a lot of early mortgage, sec- mortgage securitization. Then I was at Kidder and built the European uh, uh, debt capital markets business that became Payne Webber. Then I moved to Lehman. Um, you know, then around the time of uh, the euro, I, I joined a German bank thinking that was the great thing to do, and uh, and so on. And I ended up uh, more recently, as far as the U.S. market is concerned, at Merrill Lynch. Um, after a spell at ABN. Uh, and, uh, actually, just now, I've come uh, from five years at uh, the Royal Bank of
2: Scotland, right. interestingly enough.
8: Now, that's my career. That's what I've done. Uh, it's been a fascinating time, but the industry is changing.
2: Yeah, I can't wait Big to get time. your perspective on that, but what I wanted to really zero in and how we build this program is comparing Brexit to this U.S. election. We're going to get to that in a minute, but some of the arguments you're doing, you're speaking, you're going to Germany. No, where are you speaking? You're, you're speaking on behalf of the, the uh, you mentioned, it Ed- didn't What's the city you're going to here next Well, week? I'm going up
8: to Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. Up. Birmingham. I, I did Bristol. Uh, yeah, just to make it clear, I'm involved in two meaningful respects with the whole of this Brexit debate. Uh, on the one hand, I, I'm chairing a, a group called Britain for Europe, which is uh, activists of all political parties. David. Really? So this is completely cross-part. I'm sharing uh, platforms with people I wouldn't have been seen dead with, uh,
0: <laughs> you know,
8: but, but about a year ago. It's kind of spooky. Um, And it's it's fascinating that we're rewriting politics right now. So I had this group, which is activists, which are trying to basically resist the government and what they're trying to impose upon the people. Yeah, sure. There was a Democratic majority to leave, but the terms and conditions were never set. The people didn't vote for anything specific in terms of how to leave. Question is, do people want to. Uh, actually suffer a, 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 a fall in their living standards? Is that what they voted for? I doubt it. it. So, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is, act- is actually reach out to the people that voted to leave and try and get them to see and understand what this really means in practical terms as opposed to kind of what was a, really a protest vote. The second, the second level of activity, there's something called the Financial Services Negotiating Forum. It doesn't exactly trip off the tongue, but there it is. And this is a group of the people who are the Remainers, like me and the Brexiteers, the leavers, uh, all working in the city, and we're the guys that are trying to get around the table and not fight each other, beat the shit out of each other. Sorry, I didn't to use that <laughs> yeah, word. Yeah, it's a
2: podcast. We can do that. podcast. <laughs> don't do that.
8: Okay, so, uh, so we don't have a fight, but we try and come up with some consensus as right. to what Brexit will mean for financial services because, by the way, it's going to be uh, pretty painful for financial services in particular and the City of London. So uh, you know, I'm I'm on with that as well, uh, and I I you know I'm because I have a little more time on my hand these days, David. I feel I need to get a bit involved in something which matters to my kids and to well,
2: everyone else's kids. Well, that's what's the, one of the signs of a leader is they do get involved and they make a difference. And you're doing that over there. Uh, the the thing that I'd like to get some perspective on is your what brought about brexit because it came as the polls were all suggesting that that may not be the case but yet you looked in the eyes of those that are in the audience as you were being you know in the stay category you saw something and right. i wonder the parallels to what's right. going on here because i'm sensing the same thing here in america
8: well you look i i think we all know that polls uh cannot be trusted yeah. they're, they're unreliable at the end of the day they take they take a small number, a small sample, and extrapolate that across the whole population. And, and you know, there are so many distorting influences. So I, I'm not a great believer in polls, but, but, but let's face it. Um, I, I believe in human emotion. Mm-hmm. And this was all about human emotion. And we don't, well, That's we, about intellect and a whole lot ab- of emotion. Absolutely. This was, this this was the them. heart, not the mind. This is, this is, these are people. There were three key reasons why people wanted to vote for this. And it was a protest vote. And I'll give you the three, and and I guess most of the audience will be thinking, hey, isn't this this similar to things going on in the United States right Right. now? And guess what? Number one is immigration. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys know what immigration is about, right? we do. So it's a problem, and it's a problem everywhere. Uh, The second issue is sovereignty. Okay, Britain's got a long and and proud history of uh, parliamentary democracy and independence from other people that uh, goes back longer than most. And there was a sense that maybe being part of this collective and the European Union was somehow uh, impinging upon that sovereignty. And the third element, and this is, again, something that you guys are going to recognize, share of prosperity. There was a sense that large parts of the community were not sharing Mm, in the growth and the prosperity that was particularly uh, being created in London and the southeast of Britain. uh, But it didn't seem to get out. That was the perception. And you know what? Here in the States, it's exactly the same story, right? There are people who are going to be voting for Donald Trump who just feel left out. right? And they're uncomfortable with, with the way that the, the system seems to stack the odds against them. Now, you know, I found myself trying to push back on that and say, look, guys, it, it, you know, that's perception. It's not reality. You know, you you've got to go back to economics and understand the flows and all the rest of it. But, you know, what? those arguments were lost. They were totally lost in Britain, and they're being lost in germany they're being lost in France i mean you You, you heard that the uh, the big news in Iceland yesterday was the Pirates party. Yes, now it was runner up in the election. They tripled their vote the Pirates party. Stop and think about that. Is this a Halloween joke? You know the, but these guys these guys are protesters, and they're getting voted by the people. Now the people are not stupid, but they they're feeling uncomfortable and unhappy by the established political right. system now. How do we how do we push back? Because I'm sitting here saying, you know, I understand that, and and I I get it, right? But but you know, we cannot criticize people for feeling upset and unhappy.
2: No, it's a reality. And it's a reality. I, it's one of the things that I'm wondering about. And Alice and Joe, I want you guys to get ready to jump in here anytime. I would love to get your questions. I know you've got some stirring around in the back of your mind as you listen to this. But when you look at this, Tim. Is this something that is a global issue? Yes. We have, we, we've, saw, we've seen such a coming together globalization market-wise, and the globalization, as far as economics are concerned, that's, not, that, that's a reality. We're going to have globalization. But the sovereignty, is. I think, it's the thing. There's a fear at the heart of everything that's going on. Correct. And that's what at least Trump is playing on. On that side here, your jobs are going overseas. You're going to, we're going to bring them back. Talk about that. Is, is it systemic across the, across the globe well, or this at least is, the, the Western
8: United States? It's the Western democratic system. Okay. I mean, look, you look outside of the Western democratic system and you see Mr. Putin, who I guess is Donald's friend, kind of laughing and uh, rubbing his hands and thinking, this is great. The, the West is, 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 you know, can't get its axe straight and the democratic uh, will of the people is now at odds with the, the economic system. Right. It's not apparently working. Um, you know, the Chinese think uh, – I saw a great uh, lead article in one of the newspapers fairly recently saying, God, if this is dem- democracy, thank God we the Chinese don't have it. <laughs>
1: um,
8: you know, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, seriously, um, the problem is I had this little one-liner I trot out at, at conferences. I said it's the democratic will of the people is on a collision course with the economic imperative, by yeah. which I mean the rules of the Western economic system we're having are, are kind of failing – The people, the people are voting for stuff they can't get anymore. Like, how do you guarantee that your kids are going to have a better lifestyle than you had? And we now have a system that doesn't necessarily guarantee that. And it's playing upon those very rational fears.
2: So sorry, folks, that's my computer that we're broadcasting from. We broadcast through my computer and I got my, I forgot to shut off my notifications. Yeah, now. that was Hal, right? We that, had
8: reference to 2001 yeah. actually uh, just earlier <laughs> at the conference here.
2: <laughs> and we had Hal taking
8: control. So I mean, yeah, maybe it, the IT, IT and the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So look, I, I, I think this is, this is fascinating. And what do we do about it? Because at the end of the day, globalization has brought us massive benefits and growth. Yes. Yeah. We're an inter- interconnected society. All our economies now actually kind of work in tandem to some extent, and that's important. It's not about destroying jobs; it's about creating opportunities, creating new industries, and creating new jobs. And, and there will be, of course, the movement of different types of jobs around the globe. The problem is, and here, here's one of my points: is we in the banking industry, we in the it's kind of the entire Western economic system, those of us who've benefited, we've been pretty poor at explaining to. All of the wider populations, who and what we are, and why we're doing it, and why it benefits the wider population. People do not understand, and it. it's not during a referendum campaign right. or a presidential campaign that you're going to start getting a rational debate around those things. And, and let me just draw your attention, David, to one of the big takeaways from the Brexit campaign. We had Experts lined up, economists and you name them, Govern the of Bank of England, the people from the World Bank, the, you know, all of all of the great and the good. And, and supposedly the experts were saying, by the way, Britain, this is not good for you. Economically, this is not going to be a great result. And the people said, you know what? We're not interested in you experts. You know, nothing is effectively what was said. Right. Government ministers said we don't need experts. Now, they said it because they disagreed. If the experts had been in agreement, then they might have agreed with them. But, but we have a debasing of any kind of expert opinion. That makes rational debate pretty damn tough. And that worries me more than anything else. If We don't have any reference points, any the kind rational. of analysis, any kind of rational ability to say, whoa, okay, there's an argument,
2: right. but it's wrong because,
8: right. because, because. That's kind of scary. And that's where populist politics is taking us right well, now. I think, I
2: think emotions here in America have really have come to a point oh, yeah. and as people are feeling just ripped off because of the current right political system that we have in place. Let's run out to Alice first being the gentleman we are from Texas. Let's go out to Alice. Alice, you got some questions for Tim.
5: Yeah. So thank you very much. This has been very enlightening as you know, we get the background on, on the Brexit. So, are the banks reevaluating their positions in in uh, in London now as a result of this do you see that happening after this Well it is months? happening
8: I mean let's put it this way people are not talking about it openly because they, they they shouldn't and maybe they can't until we know the terms but but here's the here's the here's the problem that if we leave the European Union without a proper agreement without access to the single market Many of the banks that have operated out of London because they were within the single market will now have to relocate some of their operations quite possibly back into the European Union. So, uh, yeah, we don't know for certain because as yet nothing has been decided. Uh, The British government has not yet invoked its right to exit the EU. It's this Article 50 uh, reference that you will sometimes hear about. That is going to happen early next year. So the negotiations do not even start until then. And by the way, we have elections in France and in Germany, the two biggest partners across the European Union. And do you honestly think they're going to focus on this until we get their elections out of the yeah. way? No way. So we have, we have um, a problem for the banks in London because you can't just up and move a whole operation in, in a kind of three to six month window. If it looks as if we're going to get a bad, what they call a hard exit, Hard Brexit, which means, frankly, we're not going to be part of the existing single market, then banks will not be able to sell some of their goods and wares and services out of London into the rest of the European Union.
2: Does that open a door, though, for a, a, uh, a Donald Trump presidency, if that were to happen? And they're, they're the Brits, and the, because he's been really friendly with the uh, exit Nigel Farage, now, he and Nigel are very long. You know, yeah, does this open a door where you're going to see more of a union or a banking system is going to open up with the U.S. and those two economies could be that. That could be positive. Well, it, it's very
8: difficult to see exactly what shape or form uh, that would take. I mean, we've been we've had very close cooperation with the United States for a very long time yes, now, and and. Uh, you know, we will need new trade treaties um, as and when we leave the European Union. That's going to be imperative and services will have to be high up. But do you know what? Uh, you, let's be honest here. The, the populist politicians are also uh, very, much, very defensive about uh, the way they see international trade. Uh, and I don't hear positive things being said about trade. I don't see people bringing down barriers. I see people wanting to put barriers up. Uh, as long as it works for your own home industry, great. If it works for other people's industries, not so great. So, so great. I, you know, what, it's one thing, the throwaway line to keep your, your best mate from Britain uh, happy for the five or 10 minutes of a conference. Or, so, you know, dear old Nigel, uh, who's been trying to get out of the EU for reasons best known by him for a very long time yeah you know, keep them happy say yeah we 'll throw, we'll throw you a bone, but uh, the reality is that bone is is probably already half eaten and i 'm not sure it's yeah exactly. uh, yeah it 's a Halloween bone yeah. so uh, you know, it's, it's the skeleton with the pieces missing now look I, I'm, I can say nothing positive about what I think brexit 's going to bring us. I think it brings a, a lot of questions, Alice, uh, around where the city of London is going. It will not destroy the city of London, it will just impair some of its operations. Um, At the moment, we're speculating,
2: but it cannot be good. Joe, let's get over to you with the time we've got. Looking at the clock, then the
3: time flies so fast. But go ahead, Joe. Yeah, the the June twenty second vote was a flashpoint. Stock market, our stock market fell six hundred points in the Dow, and MBS prices improved about a point and a half. The stock market reversed itself pretty quickly, and we're slowly working MBS prices back down toward where they were pre pre Brexit. But what's the next flashpoint, or is there Good question. one? Great I, question, Joe. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I mean,
8: I think you've got to watch these elections. Uh, there, there could be potential and numerous flashpoints. For instance, when we start to see the reality of Brexit, or we start to see who the new French government is going to be, or who the new German government is going to be, we, we have potential instability kind of all over the European continent right now from these actions. Um, And right now, what happened is we had it, it was a shock, everyone kind of knee-jerk reaction, which is what markets tend to do. Remember, a lot of underlying liquidity is absent these days, so it doesn't take much to move a market a long way except perhaps in the foreign exchange market, which is, took the maximum pressure. And that's why we saw it in FX markets as opposed to other markets. And curiously, our stock market's gone back up, but then again, remember, it's very dependent on dollar flows and in, in companies with, with you know, non-Sterling earnings are doing, a, doing really well with this devaluation. But but coming back to that, I think, I think we have a lot of pressure points throughout 2017. A bad, hard Brexit will become apparent, uh, a f- change of government that could go seriously wrong in france we just don't know it's unpredictable or indeed in germany i mean mrs merkel's under a lot of pressure these days she is. so you know she's been a stable uh kind of reference point for for most of us uh, not just in europe but across the world uh for a long time a big big and and uh highly performing economy still
2: you got to change the government it, any and i haven't been following that election what what's that looking like right now
8: well, it's, it's very difficult to tell as to what she wants to do and, and how it's going to go. And no one's wanting to say anything right now. But, I mean, uh, she's under a lot of pressure, mainly, again, immigration. Uh, she she was ready to open the the German borders for a million uh, people from uh, Iraq and Syria and, uh, you know, the Middle East. And that's not gone down well with the German no, people. No, um, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, on the one hand, you have genuine humanitarian you see these people being washed up on the shores of southern europe you see these people trying to get out of war zones you kind of think god we've got to help these people but on the other hand where where do you take them who pays for it how do they fit into the community there are a lot of very big and uh, substantial questions that need to be answered and she did the humanitarian right thing and yet now she's getting the kickback from the people so we don't really know where that's going and where german policy will go under a a different leadership and that's kind of pivotal. And I I think markets are going to be very, very nervous. Um, So look, uh, that's the political. I still think there's a huge amount of political instability out there and a lot of worry. And Mm -hmm. by the way, there's a small matter of your own elections here in the United States. I mean, that's where I want to know. I mean, uh, who wins (laughs) that will have impact on markets. Uh, You know, it's not for me to tell, tell you guys uh, what to expect, but, but frankly, Uh, Economic policy under either one of these uh, candidates could be
2: really quite an interesting ride. Yeah, I think one is what is is there any hopes or generally what you could represent from Europe as far as which one uh, Europeans are hoping will be win will be uh, be the winner of this election here in the US?
8: I think it's a tough question. Uh, A very tough question. I mean, we do see, uh, I guess, Mr. Trump is more protectionist and more isolationist and more pull the horns in. That's the kind of general perspective. Uh, Hillary Clinton is somebody who's more used to operating in international markets and kind of gets uh, gets the international game and the role that the United States has typically played in world security and world financial markets for a very long time. And we in Europe Better or for worse, we've come to rely upon that. We've come to look to the United right. States for leadership. And, and I guess the, the, from Europe's perspective, we know what we get from Hillary. Probably we have no real idea what we might get from Donald Trump.
2: That's right. It's the unknown with that in that particular case. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the radio here. And first of all, coming to America to be such an integral part of this very, very in the tremendous conference.
8: Well, I love this event, David. It's
2: it's great. There's some real quality about it. debate. Why should someone and, uh, why should someone come here? I mean tell we gotta get more people attending this. This has got to be better known. Well
8: I've been with Tony Moss, I've been uh, on these events for a very long time, as you know. Uh, I I I I've spent a lot of time in and around the US market and this event allows me to recharge and recalibrate my thinking. It's very important that uh, we in Europe don't live in a bubble. We understand right. the way people are thinking here and we're not just what you read in the newspaper. I like to come and talk to people and hear what people are thinking because otherwise, uh, you know, you just cannot analyze problems adequately. And I, I, take, a, I take a lot away from, from very, very thoughtful panels and thoughtful discussions from some meaningful
2: people uh, here at this event every year. Tony Miola said it well. He said he's been at this a number of times, and he says the reason his wife was challenging him as to why she'd leave beautiful Southern California on a Sunday afternoon to come and be here at this event. And he said it's because of the critical thought that happens here. Things that are being discussed are really things that are going to be the future where this thing's interesting. So it's important to part, be a part – or it's a real honor to be a part of this discussion. We're so grateful that you – Well,
8: had- I think if I – just to summarize, I think over the years, the crystal ball that's operated here amongst the Euro and then the latterly American Catalyst uh, Forum actually seems to have worked. We've, the discussions have pointed towards where we have ended up
2: arriving. Right. That's a good way to put it. the point. Discussions have end, pointed towards where we've ended up. It's going to be interesting to see you back here next year. It's going to be a possibly a quite a different world. But thank you so much, Tim, for taking the time to be here. My pleasure, David. I How's love having it? you on as a guest and uh, looking forward to having you back, friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Folks, we're going to have next week Ted Tozier is going to come on talking about the consequences of this election as it relates to housing, Ted, uh, he was on the program briefly while we were in, in Boston, and he came here and uh, at the Mayor Catalyst event, and we're going to have him on the program next week from his office. He'll be dialing in. Very interested. What does this election mean for housing here in the U.S.? You will not want to miss next week's podcast. Appreciate you joining in and being a part of us, being a part of this and telling others about it. The audience continues to just grow and grow and grow. And we are so grateful to have you be a part of it. Tell others, say a special thank you to our sponsors. Again, all of them for the for making this possible. And again, thank you. Special thanks to Alice and Joe and Sam and um, Paul and everyone who comes on the program each and every week. Have a great week, everybody, and happy Halloween. Hope it doesn't get too spooky in the markets. Joe, it's Mark speaking of Spooky Markets. What's going on? Still fairly calm right now?
3: It is, David. We've held steady since this whole show's been running, so I guess we're not creating any market-moving news. That's good, That's good news. All right. Well, yeah. I was wondering if the
2: comments were going to... Put put some uh, worry out there in the markets. Anyway, guess not. All right, everybody. See you back here next week. Ted Tozier, come back and listen to his commentary about what he thinks this election means for housing. Have a great week, everybody. See you back here next week.